The following is a midnight entertainment presentation. It's time for 30 minutes of sci-fi, 30 minutes of fantasy, 30 minutes of pop culture, movies, and television. It's time for 30 minutes of geek. This week, it's episode 007. Guest Van Allen Plexico joins us to talk about the best of James Bond. Who was the best Bond girl? Which actor made the most villainous bad guy? And what was the best Bond gadget? We look at everything that made the Spy series so great. And now, the only internet personality with a license to kill. The host of 30 Minutes of Geek, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, welcome to the summer premiere edition of the show that packs more value into 30 minutes than an entire day of free comic books. It's 30 Minutes of Geek, and I am your host, Jim Yelton. As we said at the top of the show, it's episode 007, and we've got a lot of Bond talk. We're going to talk the best of Bond with the best person to talk Bond with, author Van Allen Plexico. You've heard him on the podcast before. Before we get to our chat with Van, though, I do want to let you know about a couple of things that are coming up. The first thing is Memorial Day weekend in Kansas City, Missouri. We are going to be at Conquest 46. Conquest 46 is big this year because George R.R. R. Martin is one of the guests of honor, but we are going to be performing 30 Minutes of Geek Live, the Friday night of the convention. It's 30 Minutes of Geek Presents Late Night at Conquest. We're going to be doing games, a lot of fan interaction. We're going to be talking Marvel superheroes. We're going to be talking the upcoming Star Wars movie. We're going to be getting a lot of back and forth with the fans. If you're in the Kansas City area, come out for that. I'm also going to be doing panels that weekend about music that I write to and soundtracks that I use for my books. Also, podcasting and Joss Whedon television series. We're going to argue about whether Buffy was the best or Angel was the best or was it Firefly. And I'm sure there's going to be somebody that shows up and says that Dollhouse was the best. I don't know why, but we're <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun that weekend. Come out if you're in the Kansas City area Memorial Day weekend and see us as we do 30 Minutes of Geek Live. Also, we want to let you know if you haven't had a chance to check out midnight-entertainment.com lately. It's finally here, the 15th anniversary of The Swindlers of Doom, our science fiction adventure based on the original radio show. It's got the script, it's got artwork, it's got pre-production stuff that we did, it's got lots of Easter eggs, it's got tons of bonus material for the anniversary edition, over 200 pages of science fiction, excitement and adventure. I always said I wanted to do a heist movie set in the Star Trek universe. And check that out, midnight-entertainment.com, or you can find it at amazon.com. It's The Swindlers of Doom, written by yours truly. And once you get it, go to Amazon and leave us a review and let us know what you thought. All right, all that housekeeping's out of the way. Let's get to Van Allen Plexico. What's your favorite gadget of all time? Ah, oh, geez. I, you know, I, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I still <laughs> just don't really... I, yeah, I probably have to just go with the Aston Martin, the original Aston Martin that did all the yeah. tricks. I, you know... All the there have been so many, but um, he he doesn't really have one definitive one beyond just a cool car, and that was the coolest car. So, well, and mine is also a cool car. I almost picked the Aston Martin, but I figured you were going to. <laughs> the one thing the Aston Martin didn't do that would have made it cooler is if it turned into a submarine when he drove into the water, and All that right. that the happened. Lotus. In Spy Who Loved Me. The Lotus. 
And I just loved that because it was like just the image of the car underwater is one of those things that always kind of makes me smile when I think of like Bond gadgets. But the Aston Martin, to, to comment on your pick, that was one of the things I loved in Skyfall mm-hmm. when they do the big reveal when he goes to like his storage unit and opens it up and pulls the cover off of the Aston Martin. Cause not only was it the original Aston Martin, but when they get in the car, it's all tricked out with all the gadgets and everything. <laughs> and I'm like, where'd he get this? Like he's, he hasn't been a double O agent that long. Like it's not like, you know, Q branch gave it to him. <laughs> Yeah. Like, he's had this sitting in storage. Like, I just thought that was, like, totally cool. I just thought maybe that was just an option you could get from Aston Martin directly. Right. Apparently there's multiple. <laughs> right. like, that's just one of the one of the models they make is the one with all the weapons and stuff on it. Right. You know, I've got to give an honorable mention, though, to, to a very small one but that I really liked at the time. In Moonraker, the watch that shoots the two different kinds of rockets. I just oh, think yeah. he, needs, he needs that watch in every movie. Yeah. That's like the most useful thing he ever had, and he don't use it in that one movie. And, you know, that's the other thing. that Talking about the gadgets that bothers me from movie to movie is, you know, he always has his pre-mission briefing with Q. Oh, yeah. Where he goes in and Q, you know, has a berate couple him. of minutes to berate him and, you know, comic relief and what have you. And, <laughs> you know, they show some gadget that they're working on. That's still not quite right for the field yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he gives, you know, Bond his three or four gadgets that he's somehow going to use throughout his mission. Why are those not like standard it, equipment from then on out? It's just what he needs for that particular story. Exactly. Because, <laughs> now because, pay attention, you know, 007. He, he never he never comes back from a mission and goes, you know what? That was really useful. I'm glad you gave that to me. I think I need to keep that all the time now. Like I, that should be standard issue. The the gold sovereigns in the suitcase and that that one just kind of took the cake for me. I'm like, under what circumstances, other than bribing a guy that's trying to kill you, are you ever going to need a strap right. full of gold? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's almost like Q is clairvoyant. Goes now, you'll be going into outer space, Bond. So pay attention here. This is, a, this is, this is only working outer space. You know, he always has like the one, one or two things that, uh, yeah, I love that. Oh, I, I miss Desmond Llewellyn so much. Yeah. Oh, uh, quartermaster. Okay. Uh, so favorite Bond theme song. Oh, uh, you only live twice. Just as the same as the movie. I love, love, love that, 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 uh, song at the beginning of you only live twice. That That's a good one. Uh, I had real trouble picking my favorite. Because there's, you know, a handful of really good ones. Absolutely. That, and then there's some that just, like, sentimental favorites. Uh, I narrowed it down to Live and Let Die and A View to a Kill. And I think I have to go to A View to a Kill. Wow. Just because I like the song, even though it's not a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it it was, was a number good, one hit. It was, yeah. I, I just, for some reason, I love that song. I don't it know was, why. It was the number one song in America the week of Live Aid because I remember it watching Live Aid and I remember Dick Clark saying, and now here's Duran Duran with the number one song in America. Yeah. And they did a view to a kill. Um, I, I just, I did not like the very poppy eighties Bond songs. I hated the one that Aha did for the Living Daylight. Yeah, I didn't like that one. Not a big view to a kill fan. I, I like the big symphonic 
blaring singer ones like the early 60s and then they've kind of gone back to that with some of them lately like the world is not enough and tomorrow uh, tomorrow never dies and you know my name and all those they they kind of gotten back to having that one you know big voice and then and, and adele of course with skyfall yeah. that was a great one so i i, I kind of like that they've gone back to the old tradition of having like the one big singer and the, the sort of symphonic sounding uh, Bond theme where they incorporate maybe elements of the Bond music into it. Goldfinger is big thing, and Thunderball both also have that too. Yeah, yeah I, I do like Thunderball. I mean, there's there's something about Tom Jones doing Thunderball that's really good. <laughs> it um, is. But to, to your point, I mean that's it. It became such a big thing for them to get a big recording artist to do the theme song for these movies. And I think you're right because in the 80s, they were picking popular acts or popular singers and not necessarily strong voices that they could do a really big, epic orchestral theme song with. Yeah. Um, which they also kind of got back on track with Goldeneye when Pierce Brosnan started because I love the Goldeneye theme. Oh, yeah. Just because Tina Turner does such a great job with it. Stay tuned. Jim will be back with more 30 Minutes of Geek in just a moment. This episode of 30 Minutes of Geek is sponsored in part by John Thornton's exciting series of science fiction adventure novels, The Colony Ship Eschaton, A Dying Earth, dangerously unproven technologies, and two adventurers making a last-ditch effort to find a long-lost colony ship and save humanity. Begin the exciting 10-book series with the first novel, Recovery of a Colony Ship, by John Thornton. Available in print or for your Kindle at Amazon.com. When you need a professional who specializes in writing, photography, or web design, contact Tom Slayton. At Tom's website, TomSlayton.com, you'll find brilliant WordPress themes, discounts and links for fantastic online services, and sage wisdom from the master himself, Tom Slayton. TomSlayton.com even features a wonderful, eclectic collection of photographs seldom seen elsewhere. Visit TomSlayton.com. That's T-O-M-S-L-A-T-I-N.com. Jim and his guest Van Allen Plexico are back with more Bond Talk on 30 Minutes of Geek. Uh, okay, so moving along, uh, favorite Bond girl? Um, I, I think Waylin is my favorite, just barely edging out the Italian actress who played the Russian in From Russia with Love. <laughs> Bianchi, Bianchi, I think her name was. Dan, Daniela Bianchi, yeah. yeah. So Waylon, Michelle Yeoh is awesome. I love Michelle Yeoh so much, and for her to be a Bond girl that kicked butt was just fantastic. I yeah, and that was one of the few times that you saw Bond with a female counterpart that was. I I was going to say his equal, but there might. I mean, you might have to hedge your bets to say which one was. <laughs> better than the other or if they were equal i mean it, there were situations where i think she was better than bond so so we we might have to go back and change nobody does it better to nobody does it better except maybe except Waylon. Right. 
Well, because I think they wanted to have that same vibe with Halle Berry. Yes, yes. And Die did. Another Day, but it just didn't work for me. No. And, not not yeah. like Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh, you believe that she's doing that and that she's badass. And... Right. Well, and that was the thing. Like, she came to that Bond movie with experience and with the background of having been an action star. Yeah. So that's why it was cool. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to have like this Chinese secret agent, I mean, who else are you going to get? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Jackie Chan, but then it would have been a Roger Moore movie. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, mine, man, I couldn't, I could not pick. I, because I love Diana Rigg so much. Yeah, well, that's... And, you know, like I said earlier when we were talking about Honor Majesty's Secret Service, like, that's the one female in a Bond movie that they did the story right. There was a reason why Bond fell in love with her. I love that, you know, they killed her off at the end. Um, You know, something that they kind of echoed in Casino Royale with Vesper. and I'm interested to see now that we've got this kind of like hard reboot of Bond, mm-hmm. like, is it possible that they could like circle back around and have Tracy in an upcoming movie? And That's what play I'm wondering. That note again. I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I've been wondering. I mean, if you're going to reboot and they really are back around the Dr. No, then if you're bringing back Spectre, how long is it until you get, do, yeah. do, do you even do Tracy again? Do yeah. You, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just, it, it really makes me kind of chew my fingernails going, I, you know, I'm not sure what I would do there, honestly. Uh, so yeah, so I had her or Pussy Galore. Yeah. Uh, for a number of reasons. One, the, the name's great and I love hearing Sean Connery say it. Uh, <laughs> two, Honor Blackman was great. Oh, absolutely. And three, even beyond the name. And I mean, as much joking as people have made about the name over the years, Pussy Galore was a very strong character. Absolutely. And really held her own against Bond. And I love the dynamic of that relationship. It just kind of really worked for me. So I, I couldn't decide between Tracy or Pussy Galore. And then as a, a distant third, I had Solitaire played by Jane Seymour just because yeah. that was kind of like, my entry into the Bond movies and when we were talking about Live and Let Die, I, I mentioned that. I mean, it's, and I love the fact that she was a virgin and that that's kind of how her <laughs> abilities were formed was that she was still a virgin and, yeah. you know, the Bond ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't see the future after she had sex with Bond. Yeah. A lot of women don't have a future after having sex with <laughs> Bond. <laughs> And I tell you, I got to give an honorable mention to the to one of the playful, goofy ones. They had a great line where um, I forget which one it was. Maybe Diamonds Are Forever, where where the where the very uh, voluptuous girl says, "Hi, I'm Plenty." Oh and yeah, he says, and he says, "I bet you are." And she says, "Plenty O'Toole," and he goes, "Oh, name for your father." <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, that was great Plenty name. O'Toole is not a great character in no. any of the Bond movies, but. Holy cow, Joel St. John. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And isn't she like, she's like 90% naked through half that movie. Well, now wait, you, um, that's a different character. Jill St. John. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Like yeah. The, she's I know, the leading I know lady. Plenty was just like on there for she, two Yeah, minutes. she was the other one. She's the one that gets thrown over the balcony, yeah, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. 
So uh, I liked her better. Yeah. <laughs> she was very impressive, but yeah. Yeah, and Jill St. John was fun, but I mean, she was just kind of like a, you know, the hot actress of the moment that yeah. year, I guess. And so, was that 71? Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're down to, uh, your favorite hench person. <laughs> oh no. It was definitely not Stamper. <laughs> no. In, in, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, he's awful. Oh god. I think my favorite henchman moment is is the big Sikh guy in Octopussy when they're on the plane and Louis Jordan realizes that Bond is on the outside of the plane and he looks at his big Sikh servant and says, you know, like go out there and take care of him and the guy's like out there. <laughs> right, right, it's right. like the only time in any of the movies that the henchman ever's like Seriously? <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> you know, usually they just, the henchmen just go and do whatever and get killed, but he actually yeah, like yeah. wanted to say, boss, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, but, uh, I don't know. Tell me what your is and maybe I'll think of a better one. Well, you know, after going through all of them, it, it and I think I said this on Facebook uh, about a month or two ago, I, uh, something came up on Facebook and I said, you know, when you talk about the, the henchman role, in the various Bond Bond movies, there's really it comes down to Jaws, yeah, or Odd Job. It does. You're right, and it, it's either one of the two, and you're either a Jaws fan or an Odd Job fan. And I just the the look and the performance from Odd Job is just something that I I just find enjoyment with. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, he has no lines, <laughs> and he doesn't really do a lot, no. but it's just this big bulky guy it just kind of the some of the looks that he has and just the final fight with him and bond at fort knox i mean it's just i really love odd job i do too i have to i have to agree and i'll tell you the other funny thing about jaws is you know in the first half of moonraker jaws isn't in it yeah he had just been in the one before it uh the spy who loved me and Bond kills the the asian martial arts guy that was drax's henchman and so there's just this little bit where Drax is on the telephone ordering a new henchman. And the guy, and he goes, he goes, Oh, you can get him? Okay, fine. And then you see Jaws. It's almost like Jaws was like unemployed after Stromberg died and he's back at the henchman unemployment agency when Drax calls. They're like, Oh, he's available? Like, who do you call? Like, yeah, I know. like there's, is it an unlisted number? I mean, do, do they have an ad someplace and you just call? In the Marvel Universe, you call the Taskmaster, but I don't know who you call in the James Bond Universe. We have some bills to pay. Whose bill? 30 Minutes of Geek will return after this short break. This week's show is sponsored by the Now Write Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Write series, and it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest, or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Brin, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. 
Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com. Check out the website for more information. It's nowright.net. Do you wonder what Jim is thinking about in between episodes of 30 Minutes of Geek? Check out his blog, 500 words or less, at midnight-entertainment.com. This week's show is sponsored in part by GeekArmory.com. This is one of the coolest places on the interwebs for everything nerdy and geeky. They've got t-shirts, toys, gadgets, apparel, and knickknacks from Star Wars, DC Comics, Harry Potter, the X-Men, and, and much, much more. It's the favorite place to shop for the well-armed nerd. It's Geek Armory on the net at geekarmory.com. That's geekarmory.com. Jim and Van have one more question to answer about the best of Bond. Here is the conclusion of their chat on 30 Minutes of Geek. Well, and this brings us to, to the final one I have. Okay. Uh, favorite villain of all time in a Bond movie. Oh, gosh. I know. And this is the tough one because there's so many good ones. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know who I think my favorite one, though, probably is really... I, because above all the others, I mean, there's so many others. I, I really love Drax. I love Drax in Moonraker, even though he doesn't really do very much. He's just kind of like a houseplant in most of that movie. But um, but I just like something about him. But I think you just can't get past uh, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. And I think that, honestly, I'm probably the only person that's going to say this. I don't think you'll probably ever find anybody else that agrees with me. But I th- really think my favorite Blofeld was Charles Gray. I was going to say that, yeah. He's the, he's the only Blofeld with hair, isn't he? Well, no, no, no. Uh, in uh, Never Say Never Again, we get the awesome, the always awesome Max von Sydow. Yeah. As, as, but that's not an eon, that's not in continuity. But I think in the James Bond, I think in the eon movies, he's the only one with hair. Yeah, he is. So, but I just, I really liked his kind of pompous, British, arrogant seeming, uh, Blofeld as opposed to the more creepy, foreign seeming, you know, uh, Belgian. I mean, obviously he's supposed to be always supposed to be Belgian, but, uh, I like that Bond's main arch enemy is from Belgium. There's just right. something, <laughs> somehow that's just, it's like a creepy bureaucrat, you know, from Belgium. Right. That just works somehow. He's not Russian. He's not German. He's freaking Belgian. I just, I like that. Who's your well, favorite? I, you know, I was, obviously it's, Blofeld's like one on the list. I mean, it's kind of like Oddjob and, and Jaws yeah. as far as I have. Yeah. I mean, you know, because he's appeared in multiple movies and because of Spectre and, and all of that, I mean, it's Blofeld, but I decided for sake of conversation, looking at all of the other ones, I don't know that you get much better than Christopher Walken. <laughs> playing a Bond villain. I mean, you really... And it was a horrible movie for a number of reasons, but he was not one of them. And Max Zorin in A View to a Kill has one of the all-time 
best Bond villain plots because he wants to set off explosives along the fault lines in California yeah. to cause an earthquake, which is going to cause flooding of Silicon Valley. So he can wipe out all of Silicon Valley because he owns a computer company that makes <laughs> microchips and he's going to cause his company to corner the market on microchips once Silicon Valley's underwater forever. See, this just tells us that Lex Luthor didn't take that, that concept far enough. No, right, right, right. And he was just in real estate. He wasn't in computer chips. And it was just, you know, the, the concept of the character and what Walken did with it. I mean, it was just, you know, one of those over the top performances oh. that only works in a Bond movie. And I, I've always wondered if it had happened earlier in the Roger Moore run, you know, where Moore was not as old as he was, or if it had happened after Moore retired from the Bond role, mm-hmm. if that would have been a stronger movie. Because it, it's very jokey, and there's a lot of gimmicky stuff that happens in it. I don't really like Tanya Roberts as the female lead. I've never liked her in anything she's done. <laughs> but it's got a really great performance from Christopher Walken. Uh, Grace Jones plays his henchwoman, who gets to have a really good fight with Bond. Which, <laughs> yeah, that's true. On the Eiffel Tower, that part's pretty yeah, neat, too. Yeah, which... Again, doesn't work because Roger Moore at that point was like 112 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But would you want to live in a world where Christopher Walken had not at some point played a Bond villain? No, and and that's what when you look at the people that have played villains in the Bond movies. I mean they they've done a fairly good job of casting them. Yeah, absolutely. Even even with some of the lesser known actors, I mean they they've all come through and, and given memorable performance. I don't know that there's been a bad villain in a Bond movie. Yeah, it's arguable, but yeah. fair. Yeah. Okay, well, that's going to wrap things up. I think that's everything I've got on my list. Okay. Do you have any last comments to make about Bond? As we, we celebrate, this is, I, I know I told you this, but this is our seventh episode, so obviously <laughs> with episode 007, I couldn't not talk about Bond. So what are your final thoughts on Bond to wrap things up? Uh, just one of my favorite series is something I've watched from when I was a little kid. My daughter is six now, and for her whole life, we've watched them together. So she's the only six-year-old girl I know of that like knows all the movies, all the theme songs, all the Bonds. Um, so I'm passing that on to the next generation and, and, uh, my co my, my, um, my, uh, nonfiction book writing partner, John Ringer and I that do, uh, the sports podcast, we're talking about doing a James Bond book next year as our next nonfiction project. So we'll be doing some more on this. I'm really looking forward to digging into it even deeper. So yeah, I, I saw that when you posted it on Facebook and I just was really excited about it. Oh, yes. <laughs> if we can find something new to say about it is the only thing. There have been, probably been a that's, thousand books about it. You know, so. You know that's the thing. And, you know, when you, you mentioned Doctor Who earlier and, and comparing it to Bond, and that was one of the things that struck me when Bond hit its 50th anniversary was all of the different anniversary specials and books and everything they had come out about it around the time Skyfall was released. And I thought... Has everything been said about Bond that can be said 
yeah, be- I know. before they come up with a new movie or they take it in a different direction. And it's like, you know, there's so much that's been written about it. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to your take on it. Yeah, we'll have to see what we can come up with. This episode of the show is sponsored in part by Ace Designs Media. With hundreds of web design projects under their belt and over 200 happy customers, the Ace Designs media team knows how to build beautiful, interactive websites, and they can help with yours too. Whether your business needs a site that will simply wow your customers, or you need to add advanced features like e-commerce or blogs, their affordable prices mean that there is no longer any reason to say no to a high-quality, engaging website. So say yes and take the first step towards a new dynamic web presence for your business and visit the Ace website at acedesignsmedia.com. That's acedesignsmedia.com. If you enjoy mind-bending thrillers, check out Brandon Zenner's novel, The Experiment of Dreams. Amazon readers give it four stars, and the San Francisco Book Review says, The twists and turns of the plot will leave your head reeling and possibly questioning your own mental state for a moment. If you're looking for a tempestuous thriller, look no further as this book will surely fill the void. Ben Walker begins a new job with a team developing a machine capable of recording a person's dreams. A scientific genius, an elusive millionaire, and strange visions of a town called Drapery Falls are a part of the growing mystery, and Ben must confront his tragic past to save his future. Not all memories are truth, and not all dreams are lies in The Experiment of Dreams by Brandon Zenner. Available at Amazon.com. And now it's time to find out Jim's opinion on the hot topics of the day. It's Jim's Two Cents. Well, one of the big genre stories across the internet this week had to do with, of all things, action figures and toys. Hasbro, as part of its massive merchandising for Avengers Age of Ultron, released the Marvel, let me make sure I get this right, the Marvel Avengers Age of Ultron Cycle Blast Quinjet Vehicle. Man, that's a mouthful. This thing is pretty darn cool, though. It looks just like the Avengers Quinjet from the movies, and it even has a ramp that pops out from underneath, and it launches a motorcycle out of the jet, just like in the movie. So it allows kids to recreate one of the cool action beats of the movie with one glaring problem. You see, in the movie, it's Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow who blasts out of the Quinjet and rides the motorcycle into battle, essentially turning the tide against Ultron and saving Captain America from having his ass handed to him by an evil sentient robot. However, the toy keeps Black Widow on the sidelines as it comes with a Captain America figure riding the cycle. We actually had quite a lively discussion on Facebook this week with some of my fellow authors and superhero fans and listeners of the show all chiming in on the pros and cons of the decision by Hasbro and Marvel to replace Black Widow with Cap. Now, I can understand both sides of the argument. However, I have two smart, funny, beautiful daughters, including one who is a budding MCU fan when she isn't watching Doctor Who. And I think this is one of those times when a huge company should have erred on the side of being more inclusive of girls who might want to relive one of the best action moments a female hero has had in a superhero movie ever, instead of saying, instead of saying, quote, boys won't buy a girl action figure. Really, Hasbro? I mean, really? If that's the case, then why not just raise the price of this thing like a dollar or two and include two action figures with the Quinjet? You could have had both Cap and Black Widow in the set. They could have been interchangeable on the motorcycle, and it it would have worked out for everybody. Not only would you have given girls a reason to start buying your merchandise for Age of Ultron, but you would have avoided the massive PR blunder you sparked by erasing Ms. Romanoff from one of her signature moments in this film just for a toy. And here's one last thing to ponder. 
both Marvel and DC have female-driven solo movies in the pipeline, with Wonder Woman for DC and Captain Marvel coming up for Marvel. Now, if Hasbro doesn't think you can sell one very cool-looking Quinjet toy unless they swap the female hero for a male substitute, then how are they going to merchandise a movie featuring Carol Danvers as the lead hero? And the thing is, Captain Marvel's less well-known to the general public than Black Widow is after Nat's appearances in four of the biggest movies of all time. One can only hope that DC's toy partners have a better handle on things, because I gotta tell you, if a legacy character like Wonder Woman becomes MIA from the merchandising of Batman v Superman and Justice League, then young girls who are interested in and inspired by strong, heroic women might as well go back into the kitchen to play with Barbie and Easy Bake Ovens. The problem isn't profit margins or trying to sell a product when there's very little demand. The real issue here is that more companies need to stop paying lip service to having female characters who are role models and actually put their money where their mouth is in every part of the process, including marketing and merchandising these very franchises. And that means making sure that Black Widow can save Captain America from a genocidal robot while riding a motorcycle that launches out of the back of a Quinjet. I'm just saying. And that's going to wrap things up for this episode. We want to thank Van Allen Plexico for joining us once again to talk about the best of Bond. And congratulations to Van for his big wins at the Pulp Factory Awards. He won several awards, including the big one for Best Novel. I'm very happy for him. Congratulations, Van. You can find Van's award-winning novel and all of his other stuff at whiterocketbooks.com, including his podcast, The White Rocket Podcast. And remember, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek. Find out all about our live appearances. We've got several convention appearances over the course of the summer. So if you're looking for information on that, go to facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek or check us out at midnight-entertainment.com. And if you're interested in fun sci-fi with a motley crew of con artists searching the galaxy for the next big score, check out my book, The Swindlers of Doom, with art by my good friend Steve Newton. It's available at amazon.com or directly from midnight-entertainment. And a very special thanks to you for listening. I really appreciate the 30 minutes you spend with me each episode, and I'm very honored that you're spreading the word and that you keep coming back episode after episode. We're now on iTunes as well as the Midnight Entertainment website, and it's even easier to add us to your RSS feed list through iTunes. For 30 Minutes of Geek, I'm Jim Yelton reminding you that a brave man likes the feel of nature on his face, but a wise man remembers to bring an umbrella. See you next time. Tune in next time as guest Mark Scott Zierkree joins the show to discuss his journey from childhood sci-fi fan to writing for Babylon 5, Star Trek, and many more. Which Lost in Space star did seven-year-old Mark call at home? What is his favorite Twilight Zone episode? And what projects is he working on now? Find out on the next 30 Minutes of Geek. Find out more about Midnight's exciting offerings including a full library of 30 minutes of geek episodes, bonus content, blogs, and much more at midnight-entertainment.com. Thirty Minutes of Geek is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC Copyright 2014, all rights reserved. That's all you